Good morning. First of all, um, it's good to see everybody. It's nice to be back in the warm weather. I'm not going to talk about my trip to New York other than to say that we should all be uh, deeply, deeply, deeply appreciative for living where we live. And I vowed that I would never complain when it dips into the 40s in Boca again. So, Bali Neder. I was, uh, would consider even ask, uh, adding the Neder. Um, also, I just want to mention our community has the privilege of welcoming Rabbanit Avigail Rock for a uh, not only a Scotland Residence Weekend, the Scotland Residence Week. We're all familiar with Rabbanit Rock, who is really an outstanding teacher and uh, continues to teach in our community via Skype uh, throughout the year and in person once a year. There are incredible amount of uh, classes that she's offering. There's flyers in the lobby. There's a class beginning this evening, which is the kickoff class. And then there's many, many, many seminars for women, a very uh, significant lunch and learn. Um, you know, Rabbanit Rock um, was diagnosed with cancer last year, and thank God she's uh, okay, she's in remission. But she's going to be giving a talk next Wednesday, Lunch and Learn, on cancer and personal growth. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities to learn uh, from her and with her. She's an outstanding individual, so please uh, take advantage. Of, also, over the course of Shabbos, she'll be teaching, so uh, please take advantage. Okay, we're on Parshas Vaira, which is in the art scroll on page 318, 319. Vaira, what did I say? Vaira. Vayera, page 318, 319 in the uh, Stone Chumash. Again, just a brief overview to give us some uh, context and then we will begin analyzing the text and the Psukim themselves. In last week's parsha, the beginning of Sefer Shemos, um, we were introduced to Moshe and uh, his leadership role. He was uh, recruited to leadership, uh, hesitantly, but he did uh, accept the uh, appointment ultimately. When God appoints you, I guess you don't have much of a chance, not much of a negotiating position. Um, in any case, he goes down to Mitzrayim, takes Tipora and his sons, which is an incredible display of, uh, of faith, really. Because here he had made all these promises, and it wasn't just rhetoric that he believed God was going to provide a redemption, but it was really in his core. Because when one is willing to wi- risk the lives of their wife and children, their family, it means they really believe it. So he takes his family down. Moshe goes with his brother Aaron to Paro. Paro, rather than respond positively, increases the burden on the Jewish people and is, uh, is more uh, oppressive to them. Uh, the Jews complain to Moshe and Aaron saying, what kind of freedom, what kind of redemption is this? In which uh, Moshe finally uh, turns to Hashem and says, Lama ha-reyosa, lama zeh, lama zeh Why have you done this terrible thing? Why did you bring this Ra? Like, what's going on here? I thought you told me there's going to be redemption. I thought this is going to be easy. What's happening? That was the end of last week's parsha. We'll begin... Uh, in a moment, analyzing the beginning of this week's parsha, but God does not take too well to having His authority challenged. When God says, I have a plan, just stick with me. And then Moshe kind of says, well, what's going on here? I need to understand more. We'll see the beginning of this week's parsha. God does not take too well to it. And not only does He not take too well to it, He compares and He contrasts Moshe to whom? To the Avos, to the patriarchs. He says, you know, I, I didn't have a problem when He came to your forefathers, Moshe. What's your problem? Why are you giving me slack? What's the problem here? And God continues, we'll get into that, we're going to analyze that text in a moment, but God continues and He gives the uh, promises of redemption, the four Lashonas of Geula, which we know are the basis of the, of the Seder, of the Dalit Kosos, of the four cups of wine at the Seder night. So there's a fifth Lashon of Geula, there's a fifth expression, which is also represented at the Seder through the... Koselia, I'm going to give him tired, so this whole class, you're going to help me. I'm just going to, you'll finish the sentences. Through the uh, Koselio. And, uh, and God sends uh, Moshe, 
And even then, you'd think Moshe would respond and say, okay, he took a patch on the cheek from Hashem. Right? You'd think he'd say, okay, I'm sorry, I lacked faith. But no. Moshe, in the words of art, called demures. He says, I don't understand, but they're not listening to me. If they're not listening to me, how's power going to listen to me? Jewish people aren't listening to me. What's going on? But Hashem says, go. So he goes. And he heads down, and he hesitates again, but finally the redemption begins, and uh, he tells Moshe his plan, he's going to harden Paro's heart, Paro's not going to listen to you, and Moshe and Aaron do as Hashem commands. Moshe at this point is 80 years old, and Aaron is a young 83 years old. And uh, Hashem says to them, um, when, when Paro says, challenges you and says, well, what's the authority? What, what skills do you have? Why should we listen? You'll take your staff, you'll throw it down, it'll become a snake. And indeed, that's what happens. They go down. The first plague we know is blood. The second plague is Tzvardea, the frogs, the lice, wild beasts. And uh, we know this parsha decently well because we keep Pesach every year. So I always find it kind of peculiar. You're getting into all these Pesach themes and drushes and ideas. And, and you're in December and then comes Pesach and you're in a different part. It would be nice if we can make the parsha coincide once in a while. But uh, in any case... So, uh, and we get through all the, uh, we get through, I'm sorry, we get through uh, most of the plagues, seven of the plagues, seven out of the ten plagues in this week's Parsha, and in each case, God is willing to reverse nature in order to make his point, and in each case, his point is not heard by Paro, whose heart is hardened, and, uh, and he refuses to let the Jewish people go. Okay, that's our overview of the Parsha. Again, for the most part, we're really familiar with this parsha. So let's start from the beginning by analyzing the text. Because this opening psukim, it's really the dialogue that takes place here between Hashem and Moshe, which I find somewhat peculiar, as do the commentators. Um, there's a lot of redundancy, there's a lot of um, give and take that's kind of difficult to understand. God speaks to Moshe, and he says to him, Ani Hashem. So what bothers you in this text? What seems unusual? What? Okay, so first of all, why is there a difference between Vayidaber and Vayomer? It begins Vayidaber and then switches to Vayomer. It's redundant. And why a difference in the verb? What else? What other word is clearly redundant? Okay, we'll get to that. But what word? What a love. It says Vayidaber Elokim El Moshe. God spoke to Moshe. Vayomer a love, and he said to him. Why do I need to hear? He said to him. I obviously know who him is. It's Moshe. You just told me God spoke to Moshe. It should have said, Vaydaber lo kima Moshe vayomer. And he said, Ani Hashem. What else is peculiar? Ani Hashem. Why is that peculiar? They've been schmoozing all along. They have one long schmooze going on. And God already introduced himself and God already proclaimed his name. So what do you, Ani Hashem? I'd like to, hey, Moshe, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm God. What's going on here? Va'era, and so what does he tell Moshe? Only after saying Ani Hashem, Va'era Lavram El Yitzchak Vel Yaakov, I have appeared before your forefathers, Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, Bekel Shaddai, in this place. Ushmi Hashem lo Nadati Lahem. What does that mean? But with my name Hashem, I did not make myself known to them. Lo Nodati. There's an unusual switch here also. What? He's doing business as somebody else, I guess. The Yorachayim the is going to ask, why do we switch from a question of seeing to knowing? Va'era elav lo nodati lahem. Seeing and knowledge. What's the difference between the two? Why the switch? But furthermore, says God, not only did I appear to them, va'era elav, I appeared to them, 
but lo nodati lahem, but it wasn't known to them. What does it mean to, for God to appear to somebody, but for them to not have knowledge of Him or of His name? You know, what, what was God trying to communicate over here? What message is He trying to get across to Moshe? Moshe demurred. Moshe hesitated. Moshe was not fully confident. And God's response is, let me tell you about your patriarchs, about your forefathers. I appeared to them, but I wasn't fully known to them. I established a covenant with them to give them Israel. Their ancestral land where they had lived. And furthermore, again we have the the Vavachibor, the beginning of each of these psukim. The Vavachibor connects, it links to what was previously said. I would have thought the Pasuk could say, Gam, furthermore. What is Vigam and furthermore? Or could have said Vishamati. Or Vishamati, right. What Vigam, why the furthermore even to begin with? Leave out Vigam altogether. Leave out Gam and leave out Vigam. I heard I've heard the cries of Egypt oppressing my people. And I remember my bris. What's strange about that? God has to tell me remember. I heard the Bar Mitzvah boy last Shabbos while I was away quoted me on that. Okay, it's nice. It's nice. It's good. It's a good feeling. So what did he say? What did I say? <laughs> What was the question? The whole notion of memory with God is kind of a peculiar subject. What does it mean God says, I heard them crying? I said, oh, you know what? I remember. I forgot. I made a promise. I forgot I made a promise to them. My kids sometimes remind me. Abba, you said that if I would go to school nicely, you'd give me a dollar. Yeah. You know what? I forgot I made, I made you a promise. It's true. I have to pay you a promise. But God, the infinite omnipotent being... Only when the Jewish people cried, God says, oh, you know what? I hear their cries. That reminds me of something. Oh, yeah, I made them a promise. Oh, I better start this redemption. Until they cried, he couldn't remember. Memory is a challenge with God. And the Bar Mitzvah boy was quoting me. I gave this speech on Yisker of a holiday. I don't remember which one. Maybe Pesach. How does Yisker begin? What are the opening two words of Yisker? Right. We assume that Yisker is for whom? The No, we assume Yisker is for us. We recite Yisker to elicit our memory, to, to jar our memory, to stir our memory. Yisker, we should remember. But what are the opening words of Yisker? Yisker Elokim. We try to invoke God's memory. And that's what I asked on the Yisker Drasha. We're invoking God's memory. Yisker Elohim, may God remember. Is God at risk of forgetting? We're the ones who have fragile memories. Which, by the way, I have to just share this. But then you should forget it because I'm going to use it in the Drasha sometime. But I have to share this with you. Somebody uh, texted me and then I went online and saw it. You could go online to 60 Minutes website. They had an episode a couple weeks ago. There are six people in, the nor- in North America. Yes. Six people who have a perfect autobiographical memory, it's called. This is something new to science altogether. New to science altogether. It means that they're incapable of forgetting what happens in their life. That means to say, what happened to you yesterday, now I know you'll make the joke, you don't remember yesterday. Okay, today, yesterday. What you wore yesterday, you remember today. What you ate yesterday, you more or less remember today. Who you spoke to, what you did. If I asked you, from, tell me from when you woke up in the morning till you went to sleep at night what you did yesterday, you remember yesterday, more or less. <laughs> right? These people remember every day of their life like it was yesterday. 
And if you watch it, it is mind-boggling. They have these six people and they go, uh, January 16th, 1982. Oh, that was a Wednesday. I wore a red shirt. I had fish for lunch. It was raining and humid. It was this. It, was, they t- it is unbelievable. 60 minutes. 60 minutes and you'll watch. I could give the same shit. How would you know whether it's true or not? No, no. They sat with an almanac. I'll tell you how. I'll tell you how. Because they sat with an almanac. And they would name dates and the person would tell you what day of the week it was. And they had the weather. They would tell you, did it rain that day? Did it ra-? They'll tell you, what was the weather that week? And they'll say... It rained hard for two days. The third day it didn't rain. The fourth day it drizzled. Insane. Insane. Now I don't want to get into this, what it means. It happens to be fascinating because the question is, what that episode, what that show forces you to confront is, is that a blessing or a curse? Now I'll share with you, five out of six of them are single, not married. The one who is married is on her third marriage. Yeah, who would want to be married? Yeah, she was the star from Taxi. The ultimate book. Right. But anyway, one second. Shh, shh, shh. Because, why? Because, and, and they, they, they said this to, to one of them. They, they elicited a memory of hers from when she was a kid. Her parents switched schools. And she started to get choked up. She started to get emotional. She said, you have to understand, when, when I bring up that memory, it feels for me like it was yesterday. So how do you have relationships with people when 20 years ago they said something hurtful and for you it's as if they said it five minutes ago? So is it a blessing or curse? Meanwhile, the 60 Minutes host or hostess also said something very provocative, which made me think, which is after spending time with these six people, she said, they remember every day of their life. It has such significance. I look at my life and I remember next to nothing. What's the point of my life? Why live? Each day I think that as I'm living, I'm destined to forget all of everything I'm going through right now. So I don't want to get into this, but it, it really is a fascinating, fascinating, provocative question. Is it a blessing or is memory a blessing or a curse? There's no question that forgetting is a blessing as well. Because if you carry with you every hurt, every pain, every memory, it is absolutely paralyzing. So come back to this. We forget, we understand. We're fragile, we're vulnerable, we're finite. What does God mean? And furthermore, I heard their cries. And when I heard their cries, oh, you know what? That reminds me of, oh yeah, I got to redeem these people. I made them a promise. And therefore, so far I'm just giving you questions. Therefore, Moshe, Here's the punchline, Moshe. What are you hesitating for? Go tell the people, Ani Hashem. Again, there's something contained in those two words which is not clear on the surface because what's so magical about Ani Hashem? They're saying, no, we're not ready to go. We don't believe you're going to take us out. We're hesitating. We're pausing. Here's what you need to tell them. Ani Hashem. And furthermore, I'm going to take them out from under the oppressiveness of Egypt I'm going to save them from their work I'm going to redeem them with an outstretched arm I'm going to take them from me as a nation and I'll be a God they will know your forefathers they were not aware but you see the contrast I'm going to give you something that they never had you will know and what does it mean that I am Hashem? How do I define myself? What is my identity, my calling card? What does it say? I'm God, comma, who took you out of Egypt. And finally, the fifth Lashon, I'll take you to the land that I promised Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, 
that will be an inheritance. And finally, how does God close this section? With the same two words he opened it with? Bookends. Ani Hashem. So he began by telling Moshe, Vaydaber Hashem Moshe, Ani Hashem. God tells Moshe, Ani Hashem. He gives him a harsh rebuke, a slap on the cheek. Says, you know, what's your problem? What are you hesitating? And he ends it by saying, Ani Hashem. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. What's contained in these two words, Ani Hashem? I think in the first process, yeah. talked about by Yadavir Hashem Moshe. He's talking to Moshe. And then when he says, um, by Yomer Elod, now he is, you should tell them. That's why you have a Yadavir and you have a Yomer. Okay. Okay. Good. Let's see. Yeah. Usually, when you say by Yadavir, it means to tell over. Right. Right. So let's see the commentaries. That's a good point. But let's see the commentaries. Rashi makes a comment, which is a famous comment. Famous because I happen to know. Vaydaber Elokim Moshe. Dibur is Lashem Kasha. Dibur, God uses the verbs, the Torah chooses its verbs very carefully, very specifically. We're not as careful with our words, we pay that price. God is careful, every word is by design. So Vayedaber, Dibur is Lashem Kasha. It's harsh. When, when, when the Torah wants to communicate that there's a harsh tone, it says Dibur, Lashon Kasha. And why would God speak harshly to Moshe? Because he's responding to God, Moshe speaking harshly to him. Why have you done this to your people? Why did you bring this evil on your people? Now the Sifsei Chachamim, the super commentary on Rashi, is bothered. First of all, he says, how do you know that God's speaking harshly, that Dibur is Lashon Kasha? So look at that little Aleph if you can see it. Can you make that out? It doesn't say Hashem El Moshe, which no one pointed out when I asked you what's strange about the pasuk. Does not say Hashem Says Elokim. Elokim is the same word we use for a judge. The Torah uses Elokim. It's also kind of strange, but it's very powerful. Elokim Elohim, and Elohim is a judge, a human judge. A human judge is called Elohim in the Torah. The Torah itself uses that term. And we use the same word to describe a judge and to describe God. Why? Because there is an attribute of God, which is an attribute of justice. There's a part of God that He's our Father, He's compassionate, He's kind, He's sensitive, He's forgiving. It's part of God, part of God that He's a judge. He's an Elohim. So the Sister Chacham says Rashi was tipped off by the use of Elohim. Does not say Vaidaber Hashem, the kind, compassionate Tata of Moshe spoke to him. No. The strict judge spoke to him. But the, but the Sifseh Chacham is bothered furthermore by a question. Keep reading. But I don't understand. Torah often employs the term And Rashi doesn't comment each time that God was speaking harshly. There each time Dibur is used it doesn't say it's a harsh overtone or undertone. Why not? So what tipped Rashi off that this Vayidaber was harsh when every other time in the Torah it says Vayidaber, it's not harsh? Because there's no lay more. 
Normally it says, Vayidaber Hashem Moshe Lemor. God spoke to Moshe saying. So spoke and saying, say, spoke is the general. Saying is the specific. And it's, the Lemor softens the harshness of Vayidaber. But here there's no Lemor. Just Vayidaber Elohim Moshe Vayomer Elov. So the lack of Lemor shows that the Vayidaber by design, by intention is harsh. God is not happy. So to say. God doesn't have feelings or emotions. He's infinite and omnipotent. But God is not happy. Moshe showed a little chutzpah. Which I think God actually is happy about the chutzpah. God likes to see that in the leader. But God is, has to display unhappiness. Fine. Vayomer love ani Hashem. So he tells him, I am God. What is in these magical words, Ani Hashem, that he was trying to communicate? He put a stop to it. Moshe, stop it now. Ani Hashem. And he ends the whole section. You tell the people, Ani Hashem. Stop their whining. They're coming out. Ani Hashem. What's in these two words? So Rashi says, Ani Hashem means, I am good for my promises. I'm good for my word. I am going to pay I'm going to give a good reward to those who walk with me. I didn't send you for nothing. You think this is a pointless mission? You think you're on a wild goose chase? I sent you to fulfill my words that I promised to your forefathers. Rashi says every time you see in the Torah good or bad it means I'm good for my word don't test me we got back very late last night from the airport and already I was prepping my kids half my kids have school this week half don't have school this week so my kids who have school I was already prepping them you're going to school tomorrow don't toy with me don't fight me when I wake you in the morning don't tell me it's not fair the other kids are off from school you're going to school you're going to school and the first lesson I'll tell you about parenting is don't make a threat or a promise that you're not prepared to keep so I don't want to God forbid I would never compare my wife is an infinitely better parent than I'll ever be but especially when you're tired, she can sometimes lose her cool. I try not to lose my cool. I just, I take the Ani Hashem tactic. I say, here's wow. the story. You don't get up and go to school. I'm not fighting you. I'm not yelling at you. You're a big girl. I can't pull you out of bed. But I'm counting to three. And if you're not out of bed getting ready for school, you're losing your cell phone for 30 days. Ani Hashem. Ani Ha'aba. And I have to tell you, and you know this, you all are parents much longer than I am. If I scream and yell and fight and this and that, it would go on for four hours and I'd lose. But when you say, here is the deal, and don't test me on it. And the first time you're tested on it, you, you follow through, as painful as that will be, and as much energy that will cause you to exert, because it's a lot easier to not follow through on your threat. But once you do that once, you communicate the Ani Hashem. And by the way, as a parent, you have to do that for the good also. If you say to the kid, if you do, get out of bed, I'll give you a little money. <laughs> for lunch or whatever you want to do in school. That is terrible. 
But um, you also have to fulfill your promises when you make a promise for the good. Or if you do well and you're a port guard, if you do this, we're going to take you out for ice cream, whatever the case may be. If you don't fulfill your word, if your word is not your bond, you don't have integrity, then you don't have a relationship. There's nothing there. Then you can't expect to inspire, you can't expect to model, you can't expect to communicate values if your word is not your bond. So what God says to Moshe is, you want to know who I am? You're challenging me. You tell me you don't want to go down to Egypt, they're not listening, blah, 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 blah. I told you I'm taking you out. Ani Hashem. I make good on my promises. And Rashi brilliantly, because he was holding in the entire Torah at once, Rashi is able to scan through all of Chumash in his mind. It says every time he sees Ani Hashem, let's see, what's the common denominator of every time it says Ani Hashem? And the common denominator is, I am good for my word. Ani Hashem. You do mitzvos for the good? You do the mitzvahs and you keep them? Ani Hashem. It'll, it'll work out well for you. I'm good, I'm, I'm telling you. I'm good for my word. You don't keep the mitzvahs? You desecrate my name? Ani Hashem. I'm going to make for good of my promise. It's not going to be pretty for you. So that's what God was trying to say to Moshe, says Rashi, is don't challenge me. Don't, don't question my plan, whether it's really going to happen. Ani Hashem. Ani Hashem means, I am good for my word. Rashi's grandson, the Rashbam, says, Why does it have to repeat? It means this is conversations happening in Mitzrayim. Ani Hashem ushmi mispareshi My name, my name suggests, says the Rashbam, that I can fulfill my promise, that I, that I fulfill my promise. Now, even though I just compared my parenting skills, my wonderful parenting skills, to God's Ani Hashem, it's a terrible comparison. Why? Because as a human being, sometimes it's impossible to fulfill my promise. No matter how much I want to, it's impossible. Because I'm, I'm, I'm finite. There are boundaries and limitations to what I can do. Human beings cannot say with absolute certainty what a human being, what a parent, what an individual could promise to another is, I will fulfill my word as much as it is in my power. I will do everything in my power to fulfill my word. But in the end of the day, we cannot without absolute certainty say that I'm going to do what I say I will do. You never know. God uniquely is positioned, says the Rashbam. Shmi misparesh. The very definition of my name. What's the name of Hashem? Hayahovah ve'yiyah. Ba'al kol hayacholas kulam. Shulchan in the beginning of Shulchan says, gives us what we're supposed to think about. And when it says Hashem Elohim, with each word, what the kavana we're supposed to have. And with Yudke Vavke, the kavana, the proper intent is, Yudke Vavke stands for Hayahovah ve'yiyah, was, is, and will be omnipotent, of infinite full power. So misparish, shmi misparish, my name suggests, says the Rashbam, that I fulfill my promise. I am uniquely positioned, I am uniquely, I have the capacity to make good on my word. And that's what he was trying to say. Yes? I keep getting the feeling that Hashem is reading Moses' mind. You know, sometimes when your child's in front of you and they don't have to ask the question because you know 
where their mind is going and what they're right. asking. And the whole train seems to follow all the things that Moshe might say. But, but you know, it goes, I've heard the wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like all right. Moshe's dialogue is just sort of... But Moshe did say it. He even did say it. And that's what God's given him a slap on the wrist and saying, What are you challenging me? Now look at the Kliakar. He derives an answer very differently, creatively, homiletically. A love miyusar legamre, as we pointed out. Should have just said, Why a love? So he says, look at the way our rabbis already suggested it, the Ibn Ezra and the Svarno. What's Moshe? Where did Moshe get his name from? It's also a fascinating thing. I don't want to get into it. It's really more appropriate for Parsha Shmos. Moshe has many, many names. Some given by God himself. What name do we universally use for Moshe? In fact, we, if I asked you to throw out other names for Moshe, you probably don't even know. We call him Moshe. Well, that's not a name. Rabbeinu is the suffix to his name. What, what, we follow the name that was given by Bas Paro, the daughter of Paro, the Gentile woman who gave him this name. That's the name that we assign to our greatest teacher of all time. That's kind of peculiar. Not the name that God gave him. We use the name that Bas Paro gave what Not his, his mother. mother the daughter of Paro gave. But anyway, the Kliak, I don't want to get into that. It's more for Parsha Shmos. Talk about it next year. But Chazal point out that, what, and what was the etymology of Moshe's name? The Torah itself said, From the water you were, you were drawn. You were taken from the water. So what should his name have been? It should have been in the past tense. Moshe means now in the Prabashan Hove. Veruach Hashem diber bebas paro lekrosa Moshe lashan Moshe umoshech. Bas paro, the daughter of paro, was endowed with a sense of prophecy at that moment to give him a name that implied in the present tense rather than the past tense. Kihua Moshech Israel min agalos min amayim azidonim. Moshe means you are the one who will continuously draw the Jewish people from their servitude and oppression into redemption. If Moshe would have thought for a moment and said, where does my name come from? My name is not Nimsha. My name is not Nimsha. My name doesn't imply past tense, I was drawn. My name is in the Hove, in the present tense. I draw. I redeem. He would have realized that he was the catalyst through which the redemption would take place. He never would have said to God, Why did you send me? Why did you send me? My name. I was born to redeem the people. He should have looked at his name and said, I was born to redeem the people. If you want to be Malamid Tzchus, says the Kliakar, if you want to defend Moshe, okay, Moshe could say, look, if God wanted me to be the spokesperson of the Jewish people, would God give me a speech impediment? Would God make me have, uh, have uh, inferior oratory skills? Moshe 
God was harsh with Moshe because he says, Moshe, don't you get it already? You were born to do this. So what's the Kliyaka really saying? As opposed to Rashi who focused on Ani Hashem. The message was, Moshe, don't challenge me. I fulfill my promises. My word is my bond. That was Rashi. Kliyaka says, now, what was the harsh rebuke? Moshe, forget who I am. Don't you know who you are? Don't you believe in yourself? Where is your belief in yourself? That's not humility to not recognize what you were born to do. That's false humility. Humility is to realize that what you were born to do, you got from God. But to think you are not born to do it, that's not real humility. Examine your name. What? Another Yonah. What God, according to the Kliyakar, what God was saying to Moshe, what God says to each one of us is, examine your name, examine your destiny. Who are you? And what are you destined to do? You're destined to be a leader. Now make that happen. Stop whining. So that's why the word a love was extra, was superfluous. What do you mean, Vayomer a love? Say to him, we already know, Vayidaber Elokim El Moshe. Vayomer a love. He was saying to the to, to Moshe, your entity, you, you, Moshe, your name, to the name Moshe. Know who you are, know your destiny, be that leader. Take them out of Egypt. Okay, let's keep going. Now the Svarno says a little different interpretation in Ani Hashem. Ani Hashem, according to Rashi, meant I fulfill my promises. Look at the Svarno. And I promise we're going to try to get past the first Pasuk. Ani Hashem. Mekayim ha-metzius v'lo mamtzio belvad avagam mekaymo she'ein lenimtso shum yishos v'kim zulasi ma she'ani mashpia alayhem ka'amro v'atam achayes kulam u'mizei yizchayev she'ein l'shum nimtza kiyem metzius bilti ritzoni the Rambam writes this in Nuchos Deos. This is one of the principles of our faith. The 13 principles that the Rambam writes, some recite at the end of Davening, you see. One of the axioms of our faith is to recognize that all that exists only exists because God wills it to exist. Meaning, it's not just, as some falsely believe, that God created a world, set it in motion, and then withdrew. There's a lot of arguments, there's a lot of evidence for God's existence. Those who went to the uh, Discovery Seminar earlier this year, there's a tremendous, I would argue there's an overwhelming amount of evidence. And if you gave me an hour, I would show you that there's as much evidence for God's existence as there is for anything else that we believe or subscribe to. There's overwhelming evidence for God's existence. But some of the evidence is limited. It, it just is evidence that there is a creator. There's an original first cause. There is a designer, the argument of design. There's a lot of evidence. But the limitations of that evidence is, okay, so I agree. Third law of entropy, thermodynamics, entropy, order goes to disorder. When you see disorder go to order, you know there's a designer. So if disorder, if chaos went to order in the form of a world, that means there was a designer, good. I'm sure there was a creator, I believe. But just like the architect of this building, the artist of the painting, the sculptor of the sculpture, makes their art and then moves on. Maybe God created this world and moved on. 
How do I know he continues to have a relationship with this world? How do I know? Maybe he set the world in motion. He designed it, he created it, he organized it. He set it in motion and he went on. He moved on. How do I know there's a continued relationship? The Svarno says, That's Ani Hashem. God says, I want you to know, I'm not just a God who set the world in motion. I am a God who is intimately involved in your life today. The Kuzari writes, Why does God introduce Himself? Aseres Adibros, we're going to read in a few weeks. How does it begin? Ani Hashem I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. And again, in this passage, in this narrative right here that we already read, what does God say? I want you to tell the people. They need to know me. And who am I? God's name is always, not just I am God, I am God who took you out of Egypt. Every time you mention God, God introduces Himself in the Ten Commandments, I'm God who took you out of Egypt. When we talk about God in Kiddush, how do we describe God? I'm God who took you out of Egypt. And the Kuzari of Yehuda Levi wonders, is that the most impressive thing God ever did? No, what's the most impressive thing God ever did? Created the world. Ex nihilo, creating something from nothing is more impressive. We can't ever recreate, we can't ever do that. That's much more impressive than even redemption. So why didn't God introduce Himself? I am the Lord your God who created the world. Relationship. Wow. So the Kuzari writes... Because if I'm Lord, you've got to create the world. You say, that's nice, nice to meet you. What does that have to do with my life? You created the world and then you moved on. What does that have to do with me? But if God says, I'm God, Lord, you've got I took you out of Egypt and I'm as involved in your life as I was in theirs. I'm as present in your life as I was in theirs. Don't believe in me just that I created. Believe in me that I'm himtsiyas kolam matsiyas kulam. That I sustain and nourish all that exists and if I cease to will it to exist, it will cease to exist. It is not an original creation set in motion, but it recreates every moment. And if I don't continue to will it, it will cease. It will expire. The Balatanya explains it differently. I'll give it to you through this metaphor. The Balatanya says, the human imagination, close your eyes for a moment. Close your eyes. And I want you to picture a red Ferrari. Sports car. Close your eyes and picture the red sports car. Do you see it? You see the lights. See the bumper, the back bumper. See the Ferrari emblem, the logo. You see the tires, shiny red. You see it, right? It exists. That's a real image. It's a real image that exists in a real way in your imagination. Now if I continue to talk and your mind wanders and I stop telling you to think about it and it, poof, it disappears, the image is gone. Explains the Balatanya like the metaphor In order for that image to continue to exist in our imagination, we have to continue a relationship with the image. I have to continue to imagine it. If I stop imagining it, the image disappears. This world is God's imagination. It is like the image of God's imagination. He has to continue to will it to exist and have a relationship with it, with us, for us to exist. If He stops imagining us, if He stops willing us, Like the Ferrari, we disappear. We disappear. So what God was telling Moshe according to the Sferno, fitting in easily with the Kuzari, the Balatanya, is Ani Hashem means, I continue to will you to exist, and therefore, since all of existence is an expression of my relationship to it, 
Whatever I want to happen, happens. I'm the puppeteer. I'm the master. Don't challenge me. You only continue to exist because I'm picturing you, says God. If I stop picturing you, you're gone. So what are you doing asking me? What did you send me for? I know what I did. I'm imagining you. I'm writing this play. I'm producing this movie. What are you challenging the next line? I'm the producer, director, writer, everything. And if I stop imagining, you disappear. That's his Svarna's interpretation. That's what God was communicating. So we saw three ideas. Rashi, the Svarno, and the Kliyakar. Rashi and the Svarno deal with, Ani Hashem means I am God, don't challenge me. And the Kliyakar dealt with, you Moshe need to understand your name and your destiny. You're a leader, rise to the occasion. Now God contrasted to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. I will just point out, that when God contrasted to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Avram also challenged God. Avram didn't accept blindly either that God is the screenwriter. Avram challenged him with stone. What do you mean I didn't have to tell them my name? What do you mean they knew me, namely that I fulfill my word? When God was ready to destroy stone, Avram went up to him and said, Why would you do that? Why would you do that? What's the difference between Avram's challenge and Moshe's? Avram was not in, in suffering. So it occurs to me as I'm asking the question. No, Avram negotiated. Oh, Avram negotiated. Avram didn't challenge whether God was going to fulfill his word. In fact, Avram's negotiation was a result of believing absolutely God was going to fulfill his word, and he didn't understand that. Moshe, Lama Zeshalachtani, is what bothered God. What do you. Moshe says, why are you sent? God says, I'm designating you. You're going to be the catalyst of redemption. Go down. You're going to bring these people out. It's going to be unbelievable. He guy. comes back and he says, what are you bothering sending me for? Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going on down there. Parah's not amenable. He said, I'm not or I'm not the guy. Moshe wasn't negotiating with God because he believed God was going to fulfill his word. Moshe was challenging God. What are you bothering sending me? When God said, here's the plan, stick yeah. with me. Moshe failed to stick with him at that moment. Yeah. You know, going back to the last Parsha, I mean, Moshe had valid cause because he said, you know, he sent me down, and and the people are still getting persecuted. Yeah, but Abraham could have the same cause. He could have felt that, but moreover, God saying to Moshe basically, "Don't be a fair weather fan. It's easy to accept me if everything you see on the surface works out perfectly." It didn't work out at this moment. You can't, you can't drop me and abandon me because you don't see it happening on your timeline. That's what he's telling them. To explain, my kids were desperate for our flight to be canceled last night. Desperate. So last night at the airport, they're telling me, you see, Hashem doesn't love us. They davened, they davened so hard the whole day. I never saw my kids daven like they davened. And we got on the plane and took off. I said, Hashem loves you. Sometimes the answer is no. Hashem did what was best for you. Plus, it was a great conversation. I said, I was diving the whole day that the flight get off. I won't say, you know, where we were staying or anything like that. But I was diving that the flight get off. So I said to my kids, How do you, maybe I, Hashem doesn't love you. It's just that he loves me. So, so my daughter says to me, but we learned that Hashem listens to the prayers of children more than adults. So why didn't Hashem listen to us? This was the conversation we were having. So you can't... Right, I'm also a kid. So you can't drop Hashem because it doesn't work out the way you want it to at that moment. I mean, come on, Moshe is more sophisticated, greater than that. 
You went down, you didn't see it happen on your timeline? Well, it's not about your timeline, says God. It's about my timeline. But that's why he used the word nakatia and not shafa or tzaka. Okay. It, well, it is a tefillah. It's a different form of tefillah. It's a different verb, a synonym for tefillah. Yes. But even that, even that is a... If That hesitation is fair when God was first recruiting you. But now that God has designated you and said, you're the man, who are you to challenge God who designed you and your speech impediment? You need to overcome it if you believe enough in the mission and you believe enough in God and you believe enough in yourself. Right, so it was... He didn't believe enough, right, right. Well, we're going to see we're going to see a similar idea in a moment. Let's keep going because I'm going to run out of time. Hold hold the questions. Hold the questions. Just Ushmi, what did it mean? Ushmi Hashem lo nadati lahem. When God says Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, I never revealed my name to them. What does that mean? So the Svarno says, Rav Avadi Svarno, Ba'oso hamare veloshanisi ba'adam shum teva mitivei adlib nifsadim. I never reversed nature for them. I never showed them what I'm about to show: the miracles, the reversal of nature, even that he already saw. When God spoke to Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, they didn't see a bush that wasn't burning. I'm willing to show you a sound and light show that they never even got to see. And you're worthy of seeing it because you're the ones I'm going to redeem. You're going to be formed into a nation. But stick with me. Stick with me. I didn't relate to them with my core name. I related to them with a different name. But to you I revealed my core name, my prime name, And I will fulfill my word, the promise I made to them, I'm going to fulfill in your time. You're going to merit to see it. So, my name they didn't get to see. I don't want to spend time on it. They're Rechaim, they're Amban, the Kliyakar. If you see, they all have long essays here. They go to school on this. What is the contrast? What is God setting up to Moshe that I'm doing something for you I never did for them? And in all the while, you have done something that they never did. You have to spend time on what's that contrast and each of the commentators give their own take, their own interpretation on what's the contrast God seeks to set up. Now, I want to get into for a moment these five languages of Geulah. So God says to Moshe, I want you to share. I'm sorry. Israel. I heard their, their cries, their calls. They're being oppressed. I remember. I remember. So what does it mean, I remember? Why, did, why was it, if God made the promise, if God made the promise, why did they need to cry for Him to be able to fulfill the promise? If God made a promise, God promised Avram and Yaakov, your children, your offspring, your progeny will go into servitude, but then I'm going to redeem them. Why did it take their cries for God to say, I remember my promise and I will fulfill it? I think God wants the process of prayer. God wants us to pray for things. Oh, exactly. In other words, if it's true, Ani Hashem, if it's true that I am God who fulfills my word no matter what, there was not a condition in that promise. When they pray, when they cry, I will redeem. The promise was, I will redeem. Without conditions. Unconditionally. But the when is left over. But I will, I will redeem them unconditionally. There was not a condition that it's predicated on their prayers. Why did they have to pray? So the Sefer Sha'aram B'Tfilah of Pincus, Zatzal, writes something beautiful. 
He says the prayer, the, the redemption was unconditional. God had a promise in store for them. It was designated for them. But you know what? Just like for us, there are all kinds of promises in store. Prayer is the key that opens the door to those promises. God does not want to deliver even that which has been designated without our reaching out to Him. I liken it to a lottery ticket. I think there was a big lottery now in Florida, no? There was a big mega something. I don't know if anyone wanted it. It turned over, you had to buy a ticket. So if there's a $25 million lottery and you buy a ticket, and even if you have the winning numbers... Do you get the money? Is the money transferred to your account because you had the winning numbers? You have to go get it. No, you've got to turn in your ticket. You've got to turn in your ticket to claim the money. Even when God has money, blessings, prosperity, children, redemption designated for us because we're worthy, you've got to turn in the ticket. And the way we turn in the ticket is prayer. Prayer. Prayer is the key that turns, opens the door of the blessings, those that have been promised and designated already for us. So that's the Na'akas B'nei Yisrael, and he brings the evidence from this Pasuk, Rav Pinkus. He says, God made a promise, but he only, and it was designated, and he was destined to fulfill it. But what prompted the fulfillment was the prayer, the Na'akas B'nei Yisrael. What does it mean God had to remember? What does it mean God remembers? And that's exactly the idea. God knew all along that he made a promise and he had to fulfill it. To remember for God is to, um, to focus on our merits, to recognize that we've reached out to Him. A memory, essentially, is a desire for closeness, to connect to something. That's what a memory is. You connect to something in the past, you connect to a person, a song, a place, an experience, a food. That's what a memory is, a connection. When we elicit God's memory, it's not that God could, is capable of forgetting. We are asking God to connect. We're asking God to deliver. So God doesn't mean I remembered my promise that He was capable at risk of forgetting. What God means is, I heard their prayers, it's time to deliver. I feel connected. I am reciprocating their reaching out. It's now time to deliver that promise. To redeem, yeah. That's a good point. Right, that's excellent. The same word we use. Excellent point. To redeem. Now just that we asked so many questions, but we're going to run out of time here, as usual. Vigam. We said, what's this vigam again? Vigam, vigam, vigam. What's vigam? You could just, God could have said, I heard. And hakimosi is prisi. I made them a promise. Why vigam hakimosi? Vigam anishamati. So Rechaim HaKadosh picks up on this. Rechaim Ibn Atar, Rechaim Ben Atar, he picks up on the Vigam and he says, Omro Vigam perish. Milvachis palalu lamidas arachamim. Umilvara havasa avos brisam. Yesh bechina gimel. Vigam means that there are three independent, separate reasons why God is going to fulfill this redemption. Vigam is a separator in the text. It's a separator to say, this is not just one run. One running narrative. But comma. God made three separate uh, claims here of why He's going to redeem the people. So what were they? They, pro- they, they prayed. From Midas HaRachamim. Milvad Avas Avos Uberisam. And God made a promise to the forefathers. And number three. God heard their cries for the pain of their heart. 
והוא אומרו וגם אני הוא פירוש אני הוא שם הרחמים שמה בתחילה ויאמר אליו אני השם מצד רחמים לבד שמעתי אז נעקסם פרש צעקסם מחייב לב ככל הנוהג מבלי צורך תפילסם והוא שדייק לא אמר אשר מצרים מעבידים עושם the Egyptians are oppressing you it's painful I hear your cries out of compassion God is responding so Vigam is a separator that there are three reasons here why God says says Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov because you prayed and the series of promises okay the Sforno also sees this as three separate things. Lachena more, lachol ela gimel sibos emor levnei Yisrael shani anosin mitzios hazel lachol animtzos uvezeakavach otziam sheeshne teva kitzasam. For these three reasons, I am willing to reverse nature to fulfill my promise because that's who I am, says God to Moshe. And therefore, He gives them these five different expressions. Four, five different expressions. What do the five mean? So we don't have time. But if you look at all the commentators, they compare and contrast different interpretations of what the five mean. Just as an example, first of all, the Balaturim, Rav Yaakov ben Asher, Vatesi v'Tzalti v'Galti v'Lakachti v'Gamatria numerically stands for Ze Ani b'Yisrael lo Yifchasul me'ar b'Kosso shel Yain. The opening Mishnah of the tenth chapter of Mesech Pesachim says that. Even a poor person who is supported from the community needs to be given enough money to purchase four cups of wine for the Seder. So that, the, that statement, Za'ani bi Yisrael, impoverished indigent person of Israel, lo yifchasu lo me'ar b'koso shayayin, make sure they have four cups of wine, is the same numerical value as v'otseisi v'yitzalti v'galti v'lakachti. Why? Because the, we get the, the origin of the four cups of wine is corresponding with the four languages of Geula, the four languages of redemption. Now the four languages of redemption are not synonyms. They are not synonyms for the same thing. But they correspond with different levels, different aspects of the redemption. Come here Pesach and we'll talk more about it. But um, they correspond with different aspects. The Svorno describes what are the different aspects. Vyotesi means I'll take you out from the beginning of the Makos, from the beginning of the plagues. It will be Yishkot, it will quiet the oppression. The oppression will be quieted by the commencement of the plagues. When you leave the boundaries of those of those who oppress you, that will be my saving you. You'll fully be redeemed. When will it be over? When will the threat be over? You'll be redeemed. When the Egyptians drown in the sea. And Velakachti, when will I take you? Because until then, you've now been, the, the oppression has been quieted, you've left the boundaries of your oppressors, Galti, you've been redeemed by seeing your oppressors drown, but you haven't been taken as a nation. Velakachti, God says, I will show you love, I will take you as a nation. Where? Says the Sforno. So the Sforno says the four languages of Gula correspond with four of the chronological historical events here. The progression quieting of the oppression is Hotsesi. Hitzalti being saved means I take you out of the boundaries of Egypt. Begalti, I redeem you means when those who threaten you drown in the sea. Velakachti, I take you as a nation means Mamet Har Sinai. At Har Sinai. If you look, you'll see the Ibn Ezra has a different interpretation of what the four are. The Koyakar, the Ramban. Everyone has their interpretation of what the four are. But I want to spend the last two minutes. So how does Moshe now respond? It's shocking how Moshe responds. Absolutely shocking. If I would have heard that Moshe Shmuz, 
God's great Russia. I would turn around and done it. I turn around and say, God, you know what? I'm Moshe. I was born to lead. I'm going down. Nothing can stop me. Here I come. What does Moshe say? Moshe says to the Jewish, he, he relates this message, but Moshe Moshe goes, and he sounds like, oh, he's willing to go with it, but they don't hear. Why don't they hear? And then what happens? God says to Moshe, go speak to Paro. Moshe demures again. What are you talking about, God? This ain't working. It's not working. But I want to go back to this sentence. We'll end with this. Moshe relays the message to the Jewish people, the old Ani Hashem speech. God fulfills His promises. But the people don't hear Him. And why don't they hear Him? This is my favorite word in the whole Torah. Mikotze ruach kasha. What does that mean? Translate those words. So look at this for now. Moshe. They didn't contemplate this promise of redemption. They weren't capable of understanding what does it mean? The whole God who sustains and nourishes all that exists, wills it into existence, has made us a promise He's going to redeem us. Let's reflect on what does it mean an infinite, omnipotent God and the fact that He makes a promise. They weren't capable of that reflection. Why? Mikot Saruach. Says the Sforno. They were short of breath. They were exhausted. They were simply exhausted. Who can think about philosophy, God's omnipotence, when you're exhausted, when you're absolutely wasted? When you're wasted. I came home from work and went to sleep. They had no time for a year. Yeah. And the Ramban says the same thing. They were afraid that Paro was going to kill them. That's Kotzeruach. Kotzeruach means that their heart was racing. They were short of breath. You go to the doctor, you're short of breath. Your heart's racing. What's the usual diagnosis? High blood pressure. High blood pressure. And what's the number one cause of high blood pressure? Stress. Stress. Anxiety. Kotzeruach says the Ramban, Shortness of breath is high blood pressure. What do you mean? You can be slaughtered any moment. And the hard work put more stress on their heart. Who's going to listen to a hope of a message of salvation when they're overworked, exhausted, stressed, and so on and so forth? Kliyakar also talks about the Kliyakar is a great idea here, but we don't have time for it. I have with the Orachayim. What does the Orachayim say? I love this Orachayim. I love this Orachayim. He says, you know why they didn't listen to the message? I mean, could you imagine, just to put this in context, you got a people who for over 200 years is suffering in servitude. They're watching their children get slaughtered. They're working tirelessly, they're oppressed, they're beaten. Beaten. Moshe comes down and he says, God has made a promise, I'm taking you out. You're going, you're going to be redeemed. You're going to be on top of the world. Who wouldn't want to hear and embrace that message? Who wouldn't want to embrace the messenger? What do you mean you say to him, get lost, we're working here, we're exhausted, take your message and get lost? One would love to embrace the message. Says the Orachayim, it took a certain amount of vision to embrace that message. Kotzer Ruach does not mean shortness of breath. It doesn't mean they had high blood pressure. 
It means, literally translate the words, they had narrow vision. They couldn't see more than what was immediately in front of them. They couldn't imagine a better life. And they were stuck in their world because they couldn't even imagine another world. They couldn't imagine a better life. And therefore they didn't embrace a message of hope. And therefore they didn't embrace the necessary tools to be able to change and transcend the limitations of their bondage. So many of us are stuck in Kotzeruach. We can't imagine a better life, a better marriage, a better relationship with our children, a better job, a better health, a better exercise. Kotzeruach, all we see is what's right in front of us. We're so narrow in our vision, we can't picture we don't have, we're so tired and exhausted, we don't have the energy to imagine. And if you don't have dreams and you don't have imagination and you can't picture a better alternative, then you're going to be stuck, absolutely stuck where you are. That was the Jewish people. They reject Moshe and his message. They are stuck because they are too tired to be able to see more than what's right in front of them. So there's a lot of uh, messages for us in our own personal journey, desire towards uh, redemption. We didn't get that far, but we did get past the first Pasuk. So with that, uh, we'll end. Have a fantastic Shabbos.